Welcome, Whiteman Warriors, to the Practicing the Pillars podcast, where every airman is a leader. When you lead yourself first, others will line up to follow. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land, welcome to the Practicing the Pillars podcast. This is Chaplain Graham Bailey coming to you with the 509th Bomb Wing Master Resiliency Trainer, Tech Sergeant Kim Desalus, and our very special guest, who I am super stoked uh, to have here with us today, uh, our very own Sergeant Holland Turnquist, the Resiliency Rose. Welcome, Sergeant Turnquist. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really glad to be able to share a little bit of my story with you all. Yeah, well, we're really excited to have you with us. So um, for those of, of you out in podcast land who don't know uh, Holland, uh, she is a recent ALS graduate. She is also a brand new staff sergeant. Congratulations on uh, making staff sergeant. Thanks. Uh, you made staff sergeant in uh, four years. You were selected for staff sergeant before you hit your four-year mark, and you sewed on staff sergeant at four years and three months or something like that right yeah about four years and two or three months yeah. four years and two or three months that is outstanding congratulations so from from the from the information that we've given so far it'd be really easy to think that you've got like a pretty easy go of it you just naturally succeed als uh sergeant in the air force at four years but uh and that's all great but but you've had quite a journey to get to this place is that is that fair to say <laughs> yes uh, it has not been easy my life before the military and then especially my start into the military um i guess i can just dive in a yeah, little bit just jump right in we're excited to hear your story and that that's why we're here to hear your story so yeah tell us about yourself all right so i was raised in texas um my parents uh, were awesome i uh around three to four years of age they got divorced split up and they went their separate ways. I went with my mom to North Carolina, got into a, a step family situation, and um, blended families are always interesting. Um, for about the next six to seven years, unfortunately, I had a really rough childhood. A lot of traumatic experiences, a lot of sexual abuse happened. Um, it wasn't something I would wish upon anyone, but thankfully we got out of that situation. A couple years later, I did move in with my dad down back in Texas, and I was able to like start my road to recovery when I was about 12 to 13 years old. Um, when I went through high school, everything was was pretty relaxed. I actually got married in high school, surprisingly. You got married in high school? Yes, I was a senior. You can imagine how awkward that was being in speech class. Is uh, that allowed? In I Texas, was 18. Like, oh, I, okay. I had just turned like February 23rd was my birthday. And then March 15th, I got married. So just Holy barely cow. made it in there. Um, <laughs> it was, I mean, to be fair, we'd been together like seven years at this point. So I obviously thought I had everything figured out. Did not. It did not have everything figured out though. Were you guys in class together? And just like, you know, that's my husband over there. Uh, no, <laughs> he was like 45 minutes away from me and okay. he graduated a year prior. So he was in the military. That's why we got married is he was shipping off to basic. So I missed my graduation walk because I was at his BMT graduation. Don't know how those fell on the same day, but they did. Um, after like a year and a half of being a civilian wife, I just knew I needed to start my own career and stop riding like on his curtails kind of thing. So I did. I joined the Air Force. I love BMT. It was like the first time I'd had real structure. My parents were probably too soft on me for my whole life. So having some like just organizational flow to my life felt so good. Um, unfortunately, again, my first year at Whiteman, 
whew, that was probably the hardest time of my life. Within the first couple of months on stationed, I was sexually assaulted by a coworker of mine. Uh, he was actually a, a supervisor um, wow. of sorts. He wasn't my direct one, but he was a, a view, um, like a linear one. Um, I didn't report it or anything. I didn't really know what to do. I was literally brand new airman. I didn't know if I had the right reason to, if I had the right like uh, resources. So I just kind of kept quiet until like a couple months later, it started just festering. And I was actually having like complete breakdowns at work to where I'd have to like just remove myself from the area. Um, I would just completely freak out on the walk in, on the walk out. It didn't matter. I was just breaking down all the time. I was unable, unable to perform like I should, my duties that I was re- uh, required to do. So just, just going to work was triggering. You. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't realize they were like episodes at the time. Right. I just thought I was being emotional, right? Because like, that's what I was told since day one is, oh, you're just emotional. Um, so I actually went to uh, my chaplain um, and uh, he was like, look, you need to leave here and I need you to go report this. I did. Um, I thought it would just like go away after that. Like, oh, getting it off my chest, everything will be fine. Definitely not. All it did was open it up and then everything was just pouring out of me. Um, A couple months after that, I actually lost a pregnancy. So then that toppled on top of it. And I just like could not hold myself together. So I I got moved to the chapel for nine months. I basically served some... um, serve there doing duties, just helping out and everything. And I really took advantage of having all these like resources right available to me. Like I would go in and just try to make time to speak with Chaplain uh, Shipman, who was here at the time. And, okay. um, it's kind of where I started my main road to recovery, or at least identifying that there was something wrong and I needed to fix it within me. Um, what was it about being over in a different environment that, that got you to realize okay, I need to do something. Was it just that you had been removed from your previous work environment or was it that time had passed or was it that you had been exposed to some different things that made you go like, aha? Um, It was probably a combination of them. So one, there was no longer that like sandpaper of every day I'm having to still see them or I'm having to avoid conversation and, and causing this like, um, blister to form. So now there's like time to decompress and like, actually like think about what's going, what happened, what, what, what went on. Um, and then also it was just the fact that I guess I was immersed in an environment of healing of sorts, because that's what the chaplains like do so much. Isn't always necessarily to, um, <laughs> like, I guess, preach at you, but sometimes it's just like really nice to just be able to like have someone who's non-biased and just sit down and just talk to them and, and mm-hmm. open up a little bit because I had been like hoarding all of what happened to me so internally that I hadn't expressed it to anyone yet. Yeah. And that was just causing, like I said, like it was like an emotional blister to form that was just waiting to pop at any time as gross as that may sound, that's but that's what it analogy, felt like. Yeah. Um, and there was just no longer that like sandpaper. I, I just always felt like I had an open wound and just going in, it was like reopening it every time, just so abrasive. Um, and there was no way I could heal in that. Um, some people might've, but I just couldn't. Um, while I was at the chapel, I actually got a divorce. So then that happened too. So it was like one thing after another, like I said, first year of white men, whew, that really this stressed to me the to the edge. you married when you were 18? Mm-hmm, yes. Okay. So three years passed and, uh, we got divorced. Uh, we just... Along with the assault, 
losing a pregnancy, like all those things, like our marriage just wasn't strong enough to make it through it. And it really brought out the worst in both of us to where I, I just wasn't, I needed to grow on my own. I had never given myself that chance and I, I really wanted to see what I could do with my life. Um, but we're fine now. He's actually my friend. We work together, so it's cool. Okay. <laughs> Don't know how that happened. Um, after my time at the chapel, though, um, I did start going to mental health. So I started going on base there, and I was enrolled in a 12-month PTSD program for combat veterans. It was originally structured for people who had went through, like, deployment tours, and, you know, they saw their buddies, you know, um, traumatic experiences happen to them. But they kind of altered it to fit my needs, and that's when they exposed me to all of these different like tactics, like journaling, the ABC method, um, anything that could. What is the ABC method? Um, <laughs> so it's like, basically you have to identify what happened, then you have to identify your feelings of it, and then now your feelings after. So it's like a three-part system of this situation happened, and then this is how I felt about it then, and this is how I felt about it now. So it's like action, belief, consequence, I think is what it stands okay. for. Exactly what we teach in resiliency training. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. an activating event, what happens, and mm -hmm. then the way that you think, your perception of it, and afterwards what the consequences are. And they could be good, they could be bad, depending on mm -hmm. what it is. So that's awesome. Yeah. I, I <laughs> Funny you say that, because while I was um, – like leaving the chapel and I, they were putting me back in my unit. Like there was a period of time where I was just kind of floating. So I joined the resiliency class and I also further emphasized it there. So I got to learn about it during the resiliency training. I am an RTA now because of it, but, awesome. um, so I learned that it didn't, that the thing that I learned was that there's so many different ways of tackling problems that not every one of them is going to fit. And some of them you'll use now and some of them you won't even think about till years later. So at the time they really emphasized journaling and I was like, no garbage. I don't want to do that. Um, I liked some of the, like the ABC thing. And um, I just kind of picked what I wanted to emphasize on things that I found healing. And one of them was like restructuring. So I had a very negative view of the world, very like, Oh, the world is bad. It's broken. I'm broken. I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of that. Everything was just so, weighing on me that I had to basically rewire my brain entirely through this program to where I could view it as <laughs> yeah, I started I had to like rewire it to feel positive about things so not judging things for who they are how they are why why things are the way they are but just accepting and knowing that okay I don't really like this but that's all right because tomorrow I might like it more and just you know just taking myself out of this narrow mindset and really looking at the big picture and refocusing. Um, let's see. So I left, uh, I left uh, the chapel, yeah. went back to my home unit. I did the RTA class and they told me actually that I lost my AFSC. I wasn't going to be allowed to perform in a PRP role. So I remember when that happened and you mm -hmm. were really not happy about that. Oh, I was not. I, my poor commander, I, I think I yelled at him. Um, I was very upset about it. Uh, I thought that I was being... Um, punished. Punished. Yes, exactly. So, and I, I was frustrated because I felt like this isn't my fault. Why, why am I the one who has to lose their career field over it? And, you know, he did say, oh, well, it's... Technically, you can always perform in a PRP role later on. I just think this is the better option for you. And he had a choice, uh, retrain me or separate me. He chose retrain, so I'm very thankful. And um, while I waited for my retraining, I got voluntold, which I was very upset about too, to go to Honor Guard. Uh, that was okay. two and a half years ago. No, three years ago now. 
I was extremely unhappy about it, and I showed up in a really foul mood. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) so, so let me ask this: Is your the things that you were upset about in your foul mood was that post? Like learning about how to be more accepting of the events that are going on or, or is this kind of in the middle? It's kind of in the middle. <laughs> <Okay>. I, <laughs> definitely in the middle. And especially because like, even though I learned about how to restructure, I don't think I was a pro at it um, because things take time to get better at. You got to take a lot of practice at some of those things. Yes. Absolutely. And I had just, not that I'd heard negative things. I just hadn't heard enough positive things. I, I was a maintainer and not many maintainers get the opportunity to go out there and, and do honor guard. So and not to mention like my old shop basically thought I was getting a vacation so it was like I had to fight against all the other predisposed opinions that they had to get to a positivity in my own self and so I went to honor guard and I realized like oh my career isn't over like my life isn't over I'm actually making a positive impact on more than just myself I'm making a positive impact on my coworkers when I come in with my bubbly attitude um, I'm actually, <laughs> I have a really bubbly attitude. <laughs> um, and <laughs> don't laugh. Sorry. Um, and That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, like I was, I was felt like I could actually change the environment I was in just by finally being able to be myself and not like I had to live up to some standards and honor guard allowed me to express myself in, I'm very detail oriented. I'm kind of a I'm definitely a perfectionist. Um, like all of those things just were perfect for honor guard. And so they, they pulled those out of me and it's where I started opening up about all the things that happened. And, and like I said, it's just like a waterfall. Once it's open, like everything just comes pouring out of you. And I thought I would be met with this backlash there. But what I realized is how many other people had went through, if not similar things, knew someone else who went through it. So I was like, Oh, I'm not alone oh, this is, this isn't normal, but it's, it's something that's happening way more than I realized it was. And now I was able to actually help them through things too, by opening up about my experiences. And it was just kind of beautiful to see. So community, uh, finding a community where you felt loved Mm -hmm. and encouraged and Mm -hmm. supported and that, and that gave you then the ability to, to, to care for others and in your caring for others, you experienced some healing of your own. Definitely. It's like, I always see this thing. It's like, turn your test into a testimony. And that's kind of what I started doing um, was there was women aren't as common as men in a lot of work centers. And it was the same in honor guard. We had maybe like a quarter of our people or less were were women. And so we're surrounded by men all the time. No offense, but um, it was (laughs) like, um, getting to have at least a few more than I was used to because I was used to being the only female in my shop. So this was like a way I could also find a little bit of sisterhood too. And honor guard itself is just a family. Like truly that's what they preach every day is like, you are a family, you're a family. We love each other. We have each other's backs and, and we would absolutely uh, put our lives on the line for each other there. And so there was that sense of like social connectivity that I had never experienced before. It was never competitive, never dog eat dog. It was just 100% let's lift each other up and, and bring each other through everything together. And that was extremely restorative for me. So completely not what you were expecting. No. Like right into it with your, your chip on your shoulder that you had. Exactly. They even helped me like move out of my old apartment. All I still remember all of them over there. I'm like, I'll buy pizza. Um, and it, I think pretty much any one of them I could probably call up today and and they'd still like if I needed anything they'd be there it's it's a huge brotherhood and it's just beautiful so maybe I'm getting ahead of you but um 
your uh, your retrain you perceived as punishment and mm-hmm. as a negative uh, a negative consequence of seeking help, and then your assignment to honor guard you perceived as um, an extension of that punishment and a negative impact of receiving help or, or seeking help at any point did did you kind of take a step back and see some perspective and go and go you know what none of this is actually negative these are actually positive uh, these are actually positive things and and part of my healing I never had that moment of realization even a year later after I'd been in my job for a year I had an awesome supervisor and an awesome LT and they pulled me in an office one day and they're like, hey, you've been picked to get temporarily deployed down to Florida. And again, I just like broke down crying. I'm like, I've never had a say in my career. I, I'm always being pushed around. I'm always being told to go do this, told to go do that. And I'm such an independent person. It's really hard to accept that my leadership actually can have my best intentions at mind. And that's how that one worked too. And how the honor guard thing worked and how the retrain worked is that that whole time my perspective was so narrowed in on, oh, the best thing for me is to just stay put right here. Well, obviously I'd prove that wasn't true when I was having PTSD breakdowns every day. Obviously that wasn't true when I wasn't opening up and I wasn't being able to talk to anyone. My leadership at each one of those points, and I didn't even see it because I just had the idea that they had to have been against me. You know, I caused all this trouble for them. There's no way that they have my best intentions in mind. But they did. Now looking back, I'm like, every one of those things brought so much growth and so much strength to bettering myself as a human being. And I just should have accepted it more in the moment. But I, I was so against anything that they could have done for me. And, and I totally was. But it took a long time to realize that. What was that like uh, to realize that that those people did, in fact, have your best interest in mind what what did that feel like? Was there was there a sense of relief there, um, or or a sense of gratitude, or was there an increased um, sense of trust in uh, in the system that we're in? Because it's a system. Mm-hmm. It yeah. definitely is. <laughs> yeah. Um, most of the time, I wouldn't notice until the time is the time is over. You know, I, I'm leaving honor guard, or my retrain is over, and then yeah. oh, my deployment to Florida. I gained my best friend there. I, I'll get into that later. Um, and once those times were over, that's when I realized, oh wow, okay, I was I was kind of a jerk. Maybe I should go back and apologize. And I would like go back to them and be like, you know, at the time I didn't see it, but I see it now, and yeah. I absolutely gained so much more from this than I would have just staying where I was. But that's about it. I don't know. I. I wish I just had been more receptive to it the first time. That's all I can hope for. <laughs> but definitely a lot more trust in the system too. Yeah. So sexual trauma mm-hmm. as a child. Yeah. Uh, repeated. And mm-hmm. then um, coming into the military, it happens again. Yep. Um, and then on top of that, you lose a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you lose a marriage. Yes. Um, <laughs> Gosh. And it's a, that's a lot. Um, I, I don't think that, uh, anybody would say that they would be able to go through all of that and not have some of those negative feelings about life in the world and the way things work, um, because it's being 
being a victim over and over and over and mm. not being not not in like oh woe was me but legit like real. this is out of my control when is it going to end like what yeah. did i do to deserve this karma is really out there for me is how i was feeling right right um but 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 somewhere along the way as you began to move yourself out of that uh, of those environments um you found what's turned into a, a a really powerful not test but testimony um there's something that you do in your uh in your free time uh in your off time that uh you're a model you you do some like part-time i don't know if you get paid for it or whatever and that doesn't matter um <laughs> but you do some you do some like um modeling mm-hmm. and uh i remember the first time i saw uh, I saw some of the stuff that you had posted on, I think it was your Facebook or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> it came out of nowhere. Uh, what is what is going on? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, who, who, who is that? Um, it, it, it blew my mind. And then I asked you about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you told me a really incredible story about, about, uh, about how you started doing that and how that's impacted some of your some of your growth and some of your healing do you feel comfortable talking a little bit about that I mean well you put it all out there now so I I don't really have a choice (laughs) just kidding I do um some of the stuff I hear like through my moments of trying to better myself I I just kind of catalog in the back of my head and that's what I did for that so Chaplain Shipman he identified immediately that whenever I was called out I'd like laugh and and he's like you know you are have no self-esteem you have no self-value you don't you don't see yourself as a treasure I I don't I don't know what it is but you are absolutely worthy and I want you to start seeing yourself in that light and I was like well it's easier said than done sir like what do you want me to do about it He's like, now hear me out, okay? This is gonna sound crazy. <laughs> He's like, this is gonna sound crazy. <laughs> He's like, hear me out. Just, just take it as as what I'm saying. He's like, I've I've recommended this to a, to another person before and it worked. And he's like, I think it'll work for you. He's like, I think you should just put yourself out there and try modeling. And I was like, what? A chaplain's telling me to start modeling? This is by far the weirdest advice I've ever received in my entire life. I've never given that advice to anyone. Like I'd be, that, I'd I be wary. Is that a tidbit you're going to take away from I this? Never, I, was like, I need to know how to how to like use that in counseling. I think you should be a model. I don't know. That's... And he, he was like really careful. He's like, I, I don't mean anything by it. I just truly mean that I don't think that you, through your own eyes, you see yourself as a beautiful person, both inside and out. And he's like, Put yourself out there. If you see an opportunity, take it. I was like, I probably won't. How'd you but feel okay. about that? I like. Did you feel that that was actually accurate to who you were as a person in terms of like the value and like your your self confidence? I had a false sense of self esteem. Okay. I felt only validated um, by telling myself like, Oh yeah, I'm beautiful. Yeah. I'm smart. Yeah. And, and just because I knew that's what I should be telling myself, but did I actually feel it to the court? No, definitely not. I, I did not. I mean, once being broken down so many times in my life, I I knew how I should feel. And you get told that all the time. Well, this is how you should, should look at yourself. And I just never could get it through my thick skull, I guess, like that I should feel that way. Like my heart wouldn't let me, I guess. Or that you could feel that way. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I don't think I ever truly knew what it felt like either. Through my whole life, I don't think I'd ever 
felt positive about myself. Um, whether it was my circumstances or, well, the people I was around or the, the friends I had made, like, I don't think I was ever in a truly well-cultivating environment to, to know what that felt like. Um, so then one day, I think I saw like an ad on Facebook for a photographer. She needed a model for some, for some session she had in mind. And I was like, oh, okay. There's that opportunity. There's well, that opportunity there knocking. <laughs> and so I like, like literally messaged her. And I was like, I've never done anything like this, but I'll sign myself up. And she was like, okay, cool. Meet me here at this time and this day and this makeup and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what did I just sign up for? <laughs> and then um, the whole like session of it and everything was very, I was felt awkward. It was super weird. Um, but then afterwards, I just like sat in my car and I was like, whew, well, that was actually kind of fun. Like now that I look at it and then I saw the images after and like, it wasn't even so much how I started viewing myself, but I realized um, a lot more people started feeling comfortable to go to her for for photos and like going to her for them to document their life that I was almost like encouraging other women to open up and explore themselves. And that where is where I started feeling self-worth too was, okay, I can feel beautiful about myself, which I did start doing. I did start feeling like more worthy, but there's so many other women out there that don't see themselves that way. So being able to like step out there out of my comfort zone and be like, this is me. And then seeing all the other women start slowly coming forward and being like, oh, I want to do this too. And oh, me too. It was like, I got to be a part of that. And I was like, just so awesome and incredible. I, I, it was awesome. So now I do it on the side, like randomly, uh, if I see any photographers needing help. Um, and then like when I went down to Florida for the deployment, I did some modeling there. And it just, um, it got a lot of negative feedback at one point from my uh from my squadron because uh, they weren't um, as big as a proponent of it, I guess. But um, my f first shirt, she had my back and she was like, oh, girl, you do your thing. It's This is art. This is beautiful. And I was like, oh, thank you. And so I was like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to keep going and I'm going to show my strength and my courage and I'm just going to fight through it because it makes me feel good. It makes me feel better. And I like it. See? That's my modeling story. A chaplain. <laughs> I just can't. A chaplain. Yeah. A chaplain. I'm still stuck there. I didn't hear anything you said. After the chaplain <laughs> told me to start Do me say modeling. it all over again. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no. And that was like another thing. So earlier I mentioned the journaling part of the, yeah. and I was like, oh, that's garbage. Well, then last year, almost a year ago, over a year ago now, January of 2019, um, I read this book called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And the very first step in there, he's like, stop what you're reading. Don't do anything more and start journaling. Start writing down the experiences that you've had and don't stop until you feel completed. And I was like, oh, my God, this journaling thing is really going to annoy me. But then he said, it doesn't have to be writing. You can type it up. You can, you know, record yourself saying it or just do whatever you need. Put it on a sticky note. I don't care. So I, I started typing into my notes on my phone. And now I can't stop doing it. Like, as soon as I start obsessing, uh, obsessively thinking over something or if I felt I just haven't truly articulated my emotions on something, my poor phone is just stocked full of these just notes. <laughs> And so I ended up, even though I cataloged it back in the day as being useless at the time, now it's something that I love. Like when uh, the chaplain said, hey, do modeling. It was a year and a half later, almost two years later, that I finally did it. And I was like, oh, okay. So this is all a process, you know. It doesn't all have to be right then and there when you're told. You don't have to do it, start fixing things right then. It's sometimes it needs to be later. So, so what are the things that you would say now are your 
go-tos uh, to kind of keep you in that posture? Uh, because when, when traumatic things happen, posture of resilience, um, but when traumatic things happen to us, when hard things happen to us, we don't, um, we don't just like get over it. Mm -hmm. Um, it does, it's not like you can get to a point in your life where these things never happened. We learn to carry, we learn to carry, um, our, our trauma with us in, um, in adaptive ways, hopefully, as opposed to like maladaptive ways, you know, um, we learn to live in, uh, in recovery, uh, so to speak, um, and, and we learn to maintain a posture of resilience and strength and, uh, and, and courageousness. What are the things that you do now um, to, 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 to maintain for yourself a, a, a posture of resilience? What are your practices? Um, so I have a few that I routinely use. Probably the first one is like back in October of 2018, I hired a fitness coach who... Um, definitely got me out of just the the slums. I mean, even though mentally I was restoring myself, you can only be so recovered if only part of you is healing. So my, my mind was getting healed, but my body, um, through all of this, I mean, I'd lost pregnancy. That's kind of hard on your body. It's not easy Mm -hmm. to recover from. I failed, I failed my first fitness exam. So I just kind of always had a negative PT mind frame because, you know, I failed. Like, I I don't even want to try now. I I don't even want to prove myself anymore. I also got in a head-on collision while I was in honor guard uh, that required um, total tendon reconstructions to my hand. Um, So it was like one thing after another. Physically, my body was completely failing me. So I hired this fitness coach. Hold on, time out. I just want to point out. Four years and three months you sewed on Staff Sergeant in the midst of all of this. Yes. It's incredible. <laughs> this is an amazing human being that we're sitting with. Uh, Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> oh, uh, my gosh. No, it's, it, it's been a lot. But um, so literally it was a year and a couple months ago I, 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 hired, um, I hired Rick. And he is a very like no joke, like either you give me your all or you don't give me anything at all. I, I'm not going to waste my time. And so I was like, well... I'm already broke enough as it is. So if I invest a little bit of money, maybe I'll really stick to something this time. And so you, you, I did that. I invested in myself and I gave my gave my all into this. Did I have cheat meals? Yes, I'm sorry, Rick. I'm so sorry. Don't judge me. Um, <laughs> but I still learned how to like weight lift and I still learned how to do cardio for the first time and how to eat healthy and, and macros and micros and, oh, I need multivitamins too? What? That who says? And um, I went from like not even being able to do a proper squat without any weight. Like it was, it was bad. My body was in horrible shape for a 22 year old girl. Like there was just it, it was pretty rough. I, I think I got told like one time that I looked worse than the eight year old working out in the gym. And it was, that was a low blow. Um, but then within probably eight months, I won the 500 pound club down at Florida and I got the max. What's the 500 pound club for people that don't know? Oh, okay. So it's, uh, in, it's in weightlifting and it's basically between a bench press, a squat and a deadlift. You accumulate 500 pounds through all of it. So I hit all of my PRs that day. I had like 285 pound deadlift, which for me was a lot. Um, <laughs> it may not be for everyone, but, um, I, I probably cried that day, um, Throughout the four months that I was there, I won the 500-pound club. They gave me a 1,000-pound club T-shirt, so I thought that was cool. (laughs) Um, I won the uh, max deadlift for a girl, max squat for a girl, and max uh, 
chest press chest press for girls am i saying this bench bench press there we go i got you <laughs> yeah it's 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 i'm frazzled um so all of those things was like I was gaining victories over all of just the failures that I felt I experienced whether of my own doing or not my own doing I was finally seeing like hey this is paying off so I still now that I'm not in my PR range anymore because I came back from Florida and I've been studying for staff and just like so I haven't been putting as much into trying to hit PRs and everything but more just working on my form so every at least every weekday I'm in the gym. I rotate when I go there. So if you don't see me, it's probably because I'm in the morning. And then the next day I'm like, I'm going to go in the evening. But um, that's been my, probably my favorite thing is just like getting my physical health better because like I realized my mental health just crumbles without it. Um, the next thing obviously was journaling. That one I utilize maybe not as much. It's probably like every couple of weeks now I've, I've kind of limited it down because I don't need it as much. After the first couple of times, it was like pages and pages and pages, my heart just pouring out in these words. And then now it's just more of like, um, maintenance, I suppose. Um, and then another thing was, let's see, I was working at security forces unit for about two years. So I went, um, in from my ring train straight into the security forces unit to work in the CSS there. And uh, they have MFLACs in the unit, which are like military family life counselors. Awesome resource. I went and saw her when I was really struggling with a toxic relationship I was in at the time. And she helped me create a headspace. And that's the other thing that I use probably daily. The so, app? The app headspace? or No, like an actual, like okay. the skill, like headspace. Um, it's like basically I think of a word and that word takes me to... A specific place in my mind and it's when I get overwhelmed and I get stressed and I get just completely like I'm about to break down at work I'll just think of the word and then I go there and then I can finally just like calm down I ground myself you know the four points of contact just okay smell it hear it where are you okay be present in that moment and I can relax and that's probably the one I use the most because Back when I wasn't mental health, I was diagnosed with severe PTSD, depression, anxiety, and um, adjustment disorder. So I have all of these things that I deal with all the time, but the anxiety gets really bad. So I have to use that headspace and just kind of go there and calm down and breathe and just learn to be cognizant and present in the moment instead of thinking about tomorrow and thinking about six months and six years from now. It's a lot of mindfulness. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. So so your kind of go-tos, uh, mm-hmm. fitness. Yep. Um, journaling. Journaling. Mm-hmm. Headspace. Headspace. ABC. Um, not as much anymore as much because anymore. I don't really struggle with like PTSD anymore. That's okay. pretty much all digressed a lot. So yeah. um, another thing is I, I do try to keep my like my social groups up. So I do find myself like searching for new friends or new acquaintances, new experiences. Um, I kind of bounce around in hobbies a lot just to get like my level of social connectivity up. Like if I can, I took up bouldering for a while. So I was bouldering. Yes. It's like like, rock climbing. Yeah. Okay. Just without a harness and 
<laughs> yeah, but it's indoors and like there's there's like oh. a padded floor. Okay. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah. You should have started <laughs> okay. with that. Yeah. My bad, my bad. <laughs> um it's still like a twenty foot wall, twenty five foot wall, so it can get intimidating, but I, it's actually really hard to do with glasses. Do you need so. a high risk activity form for that? Yes. Okay. So I'm pretty sure I have one. <laughs> you you have a nickname. Uh that oh. came to you when you were in Honor Guard. I think um, when I when I heard about this nickname, I thought this really just sums up um, this sums up your story. This kind of just brings it all together. Um, can you just just kind of as we're wrapping? Mm-hmm. Um, can you can you tell us about your nickname and how you got it and what it means to you and and if maybe that's what. You, Maybe maybe that's your word when you do your headspace. I don't know. I'm kinda, <laughs> I kind of want to know if it is. Yeah. No, my word is uh, calm. So okay. it's just I think of that word, but it's fine. Um, so I actually got two nicknames. One is TQ, but it's just because my name's shortened. But the other one was uh, one day uh, the flight chief at the time, he called me into his office because he just knew I was having a, a difficult time. It was after the car accident, and I was also financially struggling. There was a lot going on. And he's like, tell me about your name. And I was like, it's Turnquist. You already know this, sir. And he's like, what does it mean? I've, I've, heard, I've heard you say it before. I was like, well, it's Swedish and it means thorn twig. I was, and he's like, okay, and what does that mean? And I was like, it probably means that my ancestors are just really angry, skinny people. And he's like, no, no, that's not it. Thorn twig? Thorn twig. It's so like thorn and twig. I don't know. I just thought angry, skinny people my whole life. But he was like, what has twigs and thorns all over it? I was like, I don't know. This sounds difficult. And he's like, a rose. And he's like, that's what you are. That's what your ancestors are. And that's what you are. And I see it in you every day. He's like, you are, you are a rose. He's like, you're going to grow wherever you are planted. It doesn't matter the environment. It doesn't matter, you know, what kind of soil is around you or if you're getting taken care of. He's like, you are a rose. And I want you to identify with that. And that like shook me to my core. And so basically ever since then when someone says my name like immediately my mind just goes there and um so that's where I kind of identified with the idea of like a resiliency rose because that's basically my my uh MA my my motto of life now M- M- your MA motto no I don't M-O. know what it means your M- your M- M-O. M-O. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. M-O. my MA Mode of my MA it's my 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 MO yeah your mo is to be a resiliency rose. I, I I think that I think that uh, I think that's powerful. I think that's beautiful, and and I think that uh, as I'm listening to your story, uh, and Kim, maybe all, you also, as you're listening to the, your story, to that story, uh, you think of all the people that maybe are listening right now who are going through something tough, uh, and they're like, this is this is something that I just can't get through or can't get uh, can't get to a healthy place with. Um, your testimony. Uh, is that really all of us can be a resiliency rose. All of us can discover uh, our beauty. All of us can discover our strength. All of us can discover, no matter how dark uh, the valley is, uh, we can uh, arrive on uh, the the mountaintop of hope. Uh, And uh, no matter how long the night is, we can get to the daybreak of joy. Uh, Thank you for sharing with us. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to, I just want to highlight real quick. I think, um, you know, with your whole story and everything, a lot of people have this stigma about going to mental health Mm -hmm. and, um, and you came out saying like you lost your AFSC. 
Yes. But you're still in the Air Force. Yes, I am. And <laughs> there's a lot of people that are very quick to say, like, I don't want to go to mental health. I don't want to get help because if I do, I'm going to get kicked out. And that's such a small portion, really, that, that experience yes. the kick out piece. And a lot of people also think like, oh, if you have depression, you can't be in the military. Mm-hmm. Again, and you got false. you said you got diagnosed with four things. Yes. Uh, PTSD, depression, anxiety, and adjustment disorder, which all are horrible for the military environment. But I'm still killing it. We're here, guys. We're yeah, going to make it. Exactly. So I just wanted to highlight that because a lot of people have that stigma mm-hmm. um, and, and they don't ask for the help that they probably need. And here you are. Um, staff sergeant, four years, absolutely doing an excellent job and thriving. Not just surviving anymore, but thriving. Exactly. So, that's it. Thanks so much for sharing with us, Resiliency Rose. You are a champion. <laughs> Born champion. The C is for the courage I possess through the drama. H is for the hurt, but it's all for the honor. A is for my attitude, working through the patience. Money comes and goes, so the M is for motivation. Gotta stay consistent, the P is to persevere.